Hello and welcome to our inaugural podcast. My name is Dan Miles and this is Confessions from the Witness Box. And we're very lucky today because we're actually joined by Debbie Richards. Uh, lucky for us, lesser for David. He's been forced here because uh, we work together and therefore we had no convenient excuse to not come on and join us on today's podcast. So David, first of all, welcome. Thank you. Um, before, despite the fact we work together, uh, before uh, this podcast, I actually went online and I, I googled David Richards. And I'm very sad to say that the first thing that comes up is David Pender Richards, uh, born the 3rd of June 1952, uh, who is the chairman of ProDrive uh, which, and Motorsport UK. Uh, and sadly, he seems to be quite a well-known gentleman, which means that um, the whole of the first two pages of Google was taken up with um, Motorsport, David Richards, and not yourself. Yes, that would be the David Richards that is involved in Aston Martin and uh, the Idle Rocks Hotel in St Moore's. And I'm not trying for a second to suggest that delay analysis is not as exciting as Aston Martin or hotels. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently more people were, are interested in Aston Martins than um, uh, delay analysis. So <laughs> moving on to your CV, uh, I, I, it's always a hard one with, with CVs because it, you, the opening line always seems to actually t- say uh, how many years of experience you have, which means that everybody instantly then adds that on to when you probably left school to calculate age uh, and your CV has the opening sentence 40 years experience as a chartered quantity surveyor yes <laughs> <laughs> and, and, then, and then on the next sentence we have 20 years experience as a chartered arbitrator yes I um, became interested in arbitration and disputes when I was at college and I wrote my uh, thesis on the role of the quantity surveyor in arbitrations and that was either as an expert witness or as an arbitrator. Um, my father had acted as arbitrator on a few occasions and he was a quantity surveyor. Uh, so that was why um, it interested me. I, I wanted to find out more about it. But as soon as I left college, I started taking uh, the Chartered Institute's exams uh, so that I think I was eligible for chartered status before I had reached the minimum age. Having gained fellowship, then of course I had to uh, do the pupillage and uh, uh, get onto the panels and um, and that's what I count as achieving chartered status because in the initial days there was no chartered status. But but despite the fact that it effectively, 40, it was 20 years from becoming Chartered Conscious Surveyor to become a Chartered Arbitrator. In the subsequent 20 years, you've managed to achieve over 70 appointments as an arbitrator. Just 70 appointments in 20 years is crazy. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, those, <laughs> those appointments actually took place in a lot shorter time. <laughs> it was it was manic. Um, uh, back in the seventies, uh, the ten years prior to the introduction of adjudication, arbitration was the only dispute uh, resolution system available to contract parties, 
And consequently, arbitrations were absolutely flowing. I mean, the appointments were coming through at basically one a month. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they weren't big appointments by any means. Uh, and uh, quite a few of them settled. Uh, but yes, I mean, it was, it was uh, uh, I suppose, the glory days of arbitration. So at the point at which you progressed from charter quantity surveyor uh, and expert witness to the other side of the table and suddenly now becoming the arbitrator, how was that kind of transition from one side of the bench to the other? Um, <laughs> it's like the power. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was that, but uh, I, I, I think I think I did more arbitrations. I can't I can't recall doing any expert witness stuff until 1991. So by then I had uh, by then I had done more arbitrations than 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 expert witness work because the expert witness work was zero at that point my first expert witness was in 91 uh didn't get paid for it (laughs) absolute bunch of crooks as my client apparently they got my name from the yellow pages and i should that should have been a warning (laughs) and i thought to myself well in actual fact i think temperamentally I'm probably more suited to being an uh, an expert than an arbitrator mm. because a I prefer the money that goes with expert witness work. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't worked for the ICC. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> um, and, uh, and and secondly, the uh, you know you're working for a party that actually wants you to. Uh, to work for them rather than uh, causing one party to be entirely hacked off at the end of the process. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So the, the burning question then during these 70 uh, arbitrations, I, I admit that this was slightly early in your career, but did you ever fall asleep during a hearing? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> it was always far too interesting. <laughs> Luckily, you're not under oath right now. <laughs> and now in 2002, well, I'm assuming it probably started in 2001, uh, you were involved with drafting the, um, the, the at the time, the new Society of Construction Law uh, Delay and Disruption Protocol, which has now become quite a seminal document, which we all seem to reference possibly too much uh, in, in every report you ever write. Absolutely. I, um, I was... Uh, Delighted to be invited onto the uh, uh, the drafting team, um, and in fact, that was where I really made Keith Pickavance's acquaintance and uh, developed my relationship with him. Mm. Um, but uh, it was uh, it was quite a tough drafting process because we would draft and amend and draft and amend and then after a while it would go out for consultation and we'd get the consultation back and we'd uh, draft and amend again then it went out for consultation again uh, and it all ended up with um, a a presentation to about 100-120 people where uh, very memorably 
John Sims, the um, very well-known arbitrator and quantity surveyor, stood up and said that the the the, the, uh, the document um, should not be published in its current form because it was unfair to contractors. And the particular problem was that uh, there was a question over who owned the float, and uh, the protocol came down on the side of, uh, you know, whoever uses it. Uh, first, first come, first served. First come, first serve, yes. Now, that was based on the particular wording in the JCT contract at the time. I don't know whether it's changed. I doubt it has. <laughs> um, and, 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 and the thing was that it only applied to the JCT contract. It, it didn't apply to the ICE form, and it didn't apply to the uh, to, to to the FIDIC form. Well, but also by then we had the NEC come out, which seems to be fairly expressed in the um, terminal float owned by the contractor. Uh, yes, uh, it's just that JCT has has a different mechanism, um, and uh, you know, but the NEC is not a contract. I I I I I. I um, particularly love with <laughs> <laughs> so, so after mr simmons stood up in your in your presentation and said that this this delay and disruption protocol should be scrapped and put into the bin uh what happened did, did you change it did you modify to deal with this terminal float issue or uh did, did you tell him to get back in his box well john sims is a very difficult person to tell to get back in his box <laughs> <laughs> We can edit out later. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but in essence, um, it, it, it was said, look, this is not going to override the terms of the contract. Uh, this is uh, something that is presented as best practice and we published as we, as we were, you know. Well, but again, there's a very strong different approach if we look at the um, uh, the SCL delay interruption protocol, and then compare it to the American. That's right. I find the uh, the AACE. I think I've managed to read it once. Um, it it is <laughs> such a difficult document to read. It was a hard period in your life. Insomnia was there. You, you, <laughs> need, you needed some solution. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, but yes, I, I, I must say that when I was involved in the redrafting and redrafting and redrafting of the protocol, it often sent me to sleep. Yeah, you know. So during the course of your career, uh, you've been very lucky. Well, I, I suspect from terms of home life, not always lucky, but lucky to have worked on projects all over the world. And Absolutely, had some amazing. Um, projects globally uh, ranging in value and, and scope and the nice thing about these things is that first of all we get some amazing places uh, for the hearings but also some amazing places for our actual site visits so best site visit uh, best site visit best site visit has got to be um, the Umbaban bypass in Swaziland it's uh, an 11 kilometer uh, bypass around the capital city um, in absolutely stunning countryside, um, difficult terrain. Uh, the job had the, uh, uh, well, I don't know whether it still does, but it, at one stage it was the highest uh, 
reinforced earth wall in the uh, in the world. Um, but it was it, earth, it, it, so so the highest earth reinforced wall. reinforced earth wall. What so, is, so so kind of a ground a ground anchored wall that's quite high. Yes, with um, with. Uh, my apologies uh, to any engineers that are listening to this podcast are now screaming at me through the computer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it, it, uh, the uh, the ground anchors are tied to uh, vertical precast slabs, and these vertical precast slabs hold the wall as it progresses up. And this wall must have been somewhere in the region of, oh, I don't know, must have been 100 meters high, you know, and it just was. Uh, retaining a bank, yep. in essence, um, very very good. But the best part about the uh, site visit, especially the last site visit I went on, was that um, it gave me the opportunity to have a weekend away, and I'd taken my wife with me uh, <laughs> in, in in the most stunning scenery next to a dam in Swaziland, and yep. it was just. Bliss. So, given the fact that this podcast is entitled Confessions from the Witness Box, and I think so far we've managed to discuss everything apart from the Witness Box, <laughs> we, 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 we are going to very briefly, because uh, I think it'd be good to end the, 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 the today's session on actually the, the topic of the um, podcast, uh, let's discuss everyone's favourite topic at the moment, hot tubbing. Hot tubbing. Now, we're not referring to the one out, out the back of your house. Uh, but the wonderful uh, approach that we now seem to be used in every arbitration of putting your two experts together in front of the um, arbitrators and allowing them just to have some sport for the last half an hour to an hour of cross-examination. Do you love it? Do you hate it? <laughs> uh, a bit of both. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I mean it's not enough that you get put into a witness box for the opposing barrister to attempt to tear, tear chunks out of you. Um, <laughs> you then, uh, having had the relief of that ending, you're then put in front of the arbitrators and uh, you expect them uh, not to be quite as fierce as uh, the opposing barristers, but they are just as fierce they're politer, but they are just as fierce. Yes. And the questions they ask are, are always difficult. The, the only thing <laughs> that you can do is to uh, go in prepared and, uh, uh, and, and uh, be uh, completely honest about, uh, uh, about all of your evidence and, uh, and, and everything. Because... These arbitrators, they are generally very, very experienced lawyers uh, who have had years and years and years of construction dispute experience. And they pick up on the nuances and the, and the uh, issues. Uh, and and, and in, in reality, there's no place to hide. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but have you had a situation? Let's, if we reference to the to Trump versus Biden um, political debate. debate, it was a debate. So thank you. It was meant to be a debate uh, where there wasn't an opportunity for Biden to say anything before Trump decided to um, cut across him. 
And I think I've heard now seen the news that the next round is going to be done with, with a mute button so, so, so they can mute the opposing um, uh, person while the other one gets a chance to say something. <laughs> Have you had a situation in hot tubbing where, where your opposing expert just won't shut up and allow you to actually answer the question from the tribunal? I haven't yet, but I'm expecting that soon. Mm. Uh, I have, uh, uh, in general, while I've been in the hot tub, uh, the tribunal asks their question and the expert gives, uh, gives their answer and then the same question is put to, uh, put to the other expert. And it's done really um, with a great degree of politeness. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, I, at the moment, I have got an opposing expert and I'm having uh, Teams calls with him instead of meetings. And it is just not possible to get a word in edgeways. It simply isn't possible. And I can see that we will have hot tubbing uh, because we are not getting the slightest bit of agreement. Uh, We're not narrowing the issues. Nothing like that. Uh, And we will have hot tubbing and we will be questioned by the tribunal. And if if he allows me to, uh, to, to, to say my piece, uh, it will be pointless because he will have sent the tribunal to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 so another key thing that seems to be developing and changing in, in, in arbitration is that in the past, uh, when you're asked questions by the barrister, the barrister holds all the power. You know, the, 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 the barristers, uh, I'm not saying they have an easy life, but they definitely have the most fun life, I think, in in an in, in arbitration setting. Um, and they will present you with, with either your report or they present you with, with one of your appendices, point at some random number and demand that you explain it. And therefore, all of this power uh, is there residing with our barrister. But there seems to be a move recently whereby suddenly the experts are allowed to go into the box with their laptops. And suddenly, when the barrister points towards, towards a cell your experts are able to bring up onto the screen their own spreadsheet, bounce around it at some phenomenal speed, show some complicated formula and say, there's the answer. And suddenly, I think there seems to be a sort of a power shift almost back towards our experts now by the fact that we, we can take our laptops weirdly in, into the box. Is that a good thing? Bad thing? I think it's an excellent thing. <laughs> <laughs> a chance to get one back at the barristers. <laughs> the... Uh, I, I, I was in a hearing. Um, I had produced one of my um, as-built scatter graphs, which shows um, ten or twenty-kilometer dots for each piece of work done by the by um, by the contractor. And I uh, I wanted to use it uh, to establish a particular point that I needed to make. So I brought it up on screen and there it was behind me on a screen, something like six foot by four foot. Uh, so, but it certainly beat get trying to explain, um, uh, trying to explain by reference to an A4 graph that the, yeah. that the uh, arbitrators had in front of them. And I was able to uh, use that to, to make my point. 
Um, I haven't bounced around spreadsheets, but I can see it coming. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, well, thank you very much for joining us today, David, uh, and for being the guinea pig on the first ever um, podcast. Um, so thank you very much. It's been a pleasure, Dan. Thank you. Thanks.